Race fans, check this out. Rappin' on Racing, Remember When. It's a new podcast from Speedway Productions. Once a month, veteran motorsports broadcaster Don Gamble will share some driver interviews from the 80s back through to the 50s with people that built our sport. The Rappin' on Racing Remember When podcast will be available each month. To find out who each month's guest will be and when each podcast will drop, please check the Facebook page for Rappin' on Racing. That's Rappin' on Racing. Remember when. Today's show features Mel Minnick Sr., Mel Minnick Jr., and Dick Bailey. Once a month, we will bring you some great interviews from the good old days. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the first edition of Rappin' on Racing. Remember when. A message for all racers, race fans, or campers. Alternative Power Sources Incorporated, located in western Pennsylvania since 1995, we have proudly served homeowners and businesses throughout portions of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, offering a complete line of generators and the ability to provide turnkey projects. From sales and rentals to service, maintenance, and installation, Alternative Power Sources is dedicated to providing reliable generator solutions. Their brands include MTU, Kohler, Gillette, Yamaha, Powertech, and ASCO. The experienced sales force has over 40 years' experience in the generator field, providing the resources to design the generator package to meet your needs and specifications and supply the specified products. If service is important to you, they are your source. Alternative Power Sources. For more information, call 1-800-894-4455. Okay, fans, we're back. Don Gamble, John Sikaski, and Ken Wilson. And joining us now... Mel Minnick Jr. Mel, you won the championship. You won all the big races at Pittsburgh. Uh, you've come a long way since your first car where you took the neighbor's swing set and put a roll cage in. <laughs> Let's talk about that first car. Um, well, actually, we, we purchased the car for $50. And uh, it was our, our dog pen. The dog had died, so I took the pen and we made a roll cage out of it and uh, bought four Blem tires at $10 a piece and went racing. You know, I remember early on when you and uh, Paul, your brother, started up at Motordrome, and I'd see M1 and M2, and it was like he was probably your toughest competition. I think one night when you guys were up there that you spun each other out and both had to start in the back a couple of times and still come up through the pack. Uh, was that rivalry as, as intense as it appeared? Yeah, sure was. I mean, off the track, we talked, joked just like everybody else, but when we were side by side, it was... Uh can't let him get an inch ahead of me. I'm going to have Ken ask you some questions since you spent the better part of 95 taking his money back to Uniontown. Uh, Ken, some of your thoughts on Mel's season and all the big races, the uh, stall and, and, and the fall classic and the point title? Well, obviously, uh, Mel had a very good year. And uh, I want to say that, uh, Mel, you represent uh, yourself very well in Victory Lane. And uh, you handle yourself very well in the public. Thank you. Uh, I, what I find interesting, and you know, we talked to Jeff Geezy from the Challenger, and we talked a little bit about the spec motor, and I understand that uh, you very well may be going to the late models next year with the spec rule. And uh, your, your thoughts on, on that, if you are, and uh, your thoughts on the spec motor, as well as uh, uh, how many of the limited guys you think will be jumping up to the late model? Um, I, I think the, the spec motor rule is a great deal. Uh, limited late model is a great class to um, get used to that kind of car. And then uh, you can build a spec motor and graduate up to the late models with, uh, you know, not going broke. My chance of getting a, a real high-dollar motor was slim to none. I'd have been stuck in limited forever. Um, and, and I've got a lot of people going to help me this year, which is uh, why we're going to make the transition. Is there, is there quite a few other drivers who are going to make the transition? Because it's my opinion at this point that uh, with the cost of the spec motor, you're almost foolish not to jump up to the late models. Yeah, the motor's relatively... Uh, I build my own engines, and I can build that one practically for what I'm building the, the motors I run now. 
and uh, I, I guess Doug Crawf Crawford is moving up. Him and I are pretty good friends. Uh, went a couple different tracks together, and he's going to be moving up as well. And he he initiated it first, and I told him I couldn't let him go up to late miles without me chasing him around. Mel, let me jump in here for a minute. Roughly, you build your own motors. About how much does it cost you to put one of your engines together? Uh, I get mine done for around $5,000. That's and that's the kind of money you had uh, with your limited late this year? Yes. I'll tell you what, you did a heck of a job because that car performed awful well based on a $5,000 engine. I have to commend you. I, I think, um, you know, the motor ran well, but the the biggest thing is the chassis works so well that... Uh, I can stay in it a little longer than, than most guys with a lot of power in a car that don't work so well. Well, you know, I had another driver mention that to me once, that, that sometimes there's too much emphasis on the motor and not enough emphasis on getting your car set up and the chassis and, and all that stuff. Uh, so obviously, there is a lot of truth to that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know there were nights that, uh, you know, if I wouldn't be hooked up well and maybe drop a cylinder and, and the car worked better because I lost some power. Now, with the spec motor, <clears throat> if you plan on running only Pittsburgh, that's fine. But if you plan on going to uh, some of the other tracks, say a Challenger or a, a Lernerville where they have the open motor, uh, how do you feel with you know competing with the spec motor? Um, well, we were down at Challenger in September. Uh, I had a little bad luck, but we came back through the field. There were a lot of, a lot of the late model cars ran that race. And uh, before I had to fly tire, I was running right with them. Didn't seem to have a problem because that track slicks off quite a bit, too, in the feature. Well, with Interstate looking at this, that's close enough to your backyard that if you needed to, you would have the second track as an option, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm basically looking at the spec motor deal to get me into late model racing and, and see what happens from there. Um, and further down the road, yeah, sure, I would like to get the big motor so I could run a lot, lot more shows, you know, like the News or Stars or whatever. Now, with, with the spec motor, uh, you know, it, it'll work fine on the short tracks, uh, you know, if, if they're heavy open motor. But do you think, uh, you know, if you went to another, you know, the big half miles, uh, if you were going to go to Stars, you, you say you for sure would have to get a big motor for that? Um, I, I think, yeah, it's necessary because everybody's running it and the cars are all light. Uh, I, I think if the stars or news would give the spec motors uh, somewhat of a break, uh, weight-wise like Pittsburgh is doing, uh, you'd probably see them be able to compete a lot better. Let's talk about your success with the Fall Classic, the Stall Race, and the Championship. Uh, you were teasing the other day. We were talking on the phone, and you said you've been very fortunate with sponsors. You're running out of space on your car, and I can remember a time where the only thing you had on your car was a number. So the success <laughs> is obviously bringing results. Yeah, once uh, yes, it's it's tough because when you're trying to get to that point, you really need sponsors. I mean, you always need them, but then once you win, it's a lot easier to get them. It's just trying to get to that point is so hard, and I think that's where a lot of people give up. We, we also talked about the possibility of you having Bill Kaiser bring the modified to Motordrome on Friday night, so you're going to be pretty versatile with the modified Friday on the asphalt and the late model Saturday on the dirt. Uh, I guess, like I said at one time, one of the interviews we did, if it had wheels, you'd drive it, and that's pretty much it. Oh, absolutely. I, if I could find a ride for seven days a week, I'd not be truly happy. You know, back to the sponsorship, uh, I find uh, the comments of Mel saying that he's starting to uh, run out of room, and, and I just made a comment earlier to him that I, I think he handles himself uh, very good in public. Uh, I, I think this is where a lot of drivers sometimes miss the boat. Uh, uh, one time, I can't remember who it was, made a comment. I was at the races, and uh, I think out of Pittsburgh, and someone made a comment that Geisler, well, he gets all the good equipment, and he gets, you know, that's why he wins and stuff. and. And I made the comment back, and I said, you know, I really believe that uh, Cochran hires Lynn for his PR, and they want him on his team maybe even more so for his PR than even his driving ability because he does such a tremendous job of representing that, uh, that company. And I think this is where a lot of drivers... Have had when they have trouble getting sponsorship. That's why they need to brush it up. Don, you've mentioned where there's been schools where where drivers can go just for that. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence when you watch Winston Cup <laughs> that uh, the first thing out of their mouth is all their sponsors, and and that's very important. I don't think there's a successful driver on the Winston Cup or Bush Circuit that hasn't been to some type of a school. 
we uh, Dick Curry, Bill Steinbach, and I, uh, Jimmy Spencer, and Hot Strickland were two students that we ran through the program at Heinz. They had a special seminar. We were down there for a couple of days just to train these drivers how to respond to the media. And it's big business, and it's serious. And Heinz said it. I mean, we were there. We want to make sure when they open their mouth, they represent our company the way we want them to. And they spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money to make sure it was right, and it worked. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very important. It's obvious that it is. And I think uh, if you look at all of the successful drivers uh, through the years uh, that have had a lot of sponsors, that they're very good speakers, and that, that's very important. Mel, you got into the UMP car this year, I believe, for the first time. Uh, how do you compare the UMP car uh, to the limited late that you drove, or what were your thoughts on driving a UMP? I, I was having a tough time because I was trying to go in a corner as hard with the UMP as I did with, with my limited late, and just can't do that. Cars, uh, they're a little bit squirreling, and, and that's a tough class. I give them guys credit. It's, it's tough to come through there. Hey, Mel, um, I, I was down at Pennsboro this year, and uh, you were down there running. How was that experience for you? That was a great learning experience. <laughs> a nightmare, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of couldn't wait for the weekend to, to get over. You know, the weather was super bad. Uh, we were having handling problems the whole weekend, and then I went out and qualifying and broke a strut on the right side going into turn one and, and got into the wall. I got a question for you, and, and how rough is that track when you're running, you know, 100 miles an hour on the straight? I mean, can it's, you feel it's it? It's pretty bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you shake everywhere? Uh, well, actually, I was pulled in the seat pretty tight, but it was uh, it was quite, kind of funny feeling the car get off the ground and back down about four or five times down the front straight, and then going into to, um, three... It was real bumpy right before you got in there to start to set the car up. Uh, matter of fact, Friday I kept going in there, getting braver and braver, and I ended up going over turn four backwards. <laughs> what do, what do you think of the track? Is it is it a rough track to run on? Uh, yeah, I've been on rougher, but it's it's a real hard track to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'd take a few trips down there to uh, to really get a car dialed into that and get yourself dialed into driving that track because it's uh, both turns are so different. It's unbelievable. Are you going back? Absolutely. I have to redeem <laughs> the myself. Magic, from the magic of Pennsboro. Mel, you're going you're gonna to run your uh, UMP asphalt on Friday nights, bring the, the late model out to Pittsburgh on Saturdays. You all, are you also going to run the UMP uh, at Pittsburgh on the dirt on Saturday nights? Well, I, I think for now we're going to see how it goes on Friday nights. Uh, I talked with Bill last night, and he's pretty uh, you know, hepped up on getting the car down there, and we'll, we'll see how that goes so I can concentrate on my car in the beginning anyhow at Pittsburgh. Mel, we're going to have your dad on at 11.40 and being um, Mel Minnick Jr. is a lot of responsibility because of dad and his success and winning all these races. But early on in your career, most people would have probably thought age 14, 15, 16, you would have been in a race car, but there was quite a bit of time passed between when you could have started driving and you actually did. I'd like you to explain why or, or what happened. Oh, actually, it's always like the father-son rivalry. I think my dad and, and my heads are about as hard as each other. <laughs> and uh, actually, I, I ran a English Derby in 76 and won it. And him and I weren't speaking that day. And he told me then he would buy me a race car. And I said, I don't want nothing from you. And being the hard head that he is, I didn't get nothing. <laughs> and uh, I just carried on to... Uh, 1985, him and my stepbrother built a car, and I went down to watch him, and I'll tell you, I just couldn't stand it. And then 10 days later, I was on the racetrack. Well, weren't you pretty active in, uh, was it softball or baseball? Softball. Yeah. Yeah, I so, played a lot of softball. So is it safe to assume that you and Dad both have hard heads? I would say. <laughs> Those two would glad you'd hear a heck of a bang. Hey, we need to take a break. You stay with us. We'll be back with more comments from Mel Minnick after these messages. The Jennerstown Speedway Complex is located in the scenic Laurel Mountains of Somerset County, Pennsylvania, in the town of Jennerstown, at the intersections of Route 30 and Route 985. Experience the thrill of Jennerstown Speedway with its 550 feet of 6-degree straightaways and over 700 feet of 9-degree sweeping corners. Jennerstown Speedway serves as the host for five divisions of weekly racing series every Saturday evening from May to September Weekly divisions include late models, modifieds, street stocks, charger, and the Fast and Furious 4s. Special events include IMSA Super Modifieds, Super Cup Stock Car Series, the Race of Champions Modifieds, 
Spectator gates open at 4 p.m. with racing starting at 6 p.m., allowing for even the youngest fans the opportunity to experience the entire action-packed show. The ownership and staff of the Jennerstown Speedway Complex take great pride in providing fun and affordable family entertainment. At the completion of each weekly event, everyone in attendance is invited into the pit area to meet their favorite drivers and see the cars up close and in person. For upcoming events and special promotions, you can visit Jennerstown.org or follow them on Facebook. Fans, we're back. John Sikoski, Ken Wilson, and Don Gamble. We're talking with Mel Minnick Jr. Mel, you've had a lot of success. You won the biggest races in the division. You won the championship, but this is not a one-man project. Uh, let's talk about some of the people involved. Oh, absolutely not, Don. Uh, I'll tell you, a couple times through the middle of the season, we were having such bad luck. I was ready to throw in that towel, and uh, wasn't for this crew I got. They, they uh, kept me going. I'd like to thank, uh, that's my dad, of course, on the crew, Bobby Hall, Ricky Carangola, Dave Griffith, Jim Crosland, Bill Keverly, Bill Kaiser, Ben Peters, and Dan Mansfield. That list keeps growing also. Uh, some of the sponsors that I have and I'd like to thank is, uh, this past year, is Penzoil, Gary's Auto Sales, Ferris Auto Body, Sudden Changes, Mike's Hot Tubs, Ansel Tire Service, and, uh, of course, you know about the incentive deal Bobby Lake was giving me every time I won. Yeah, but tell the other people about it. Well, every time I would go out on track, uh, Bobby Lake would say, if you win, I'll give you $100. So I took his money quite a bit this year. <laughs> 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 He's going to try to carry that on next year. It's going to be a little tougher for me, but uh, hopefully we can pick off some. Um, also coming on this year that's uh, really helping me make the transition to late model is uh, Budget Rent-A-Car, which who I work for now down at the airport. Uh, and Penn Automotive, they're going to be a big help. And Maintenance Plus, uh, Bruce Castoner has been pretty instrumental in talking me into going late model. I'd like to thank all of them. Um, how about the uh, home front there? You want to make sure you... Yeah, I always forget to thank my wife for putting up with me the whole summer. I'm, I'm trying to get the home projects done now that uh, <laughs> that I let go all summer so I can race. and. Uh, also, I'd like to thank Stall Heating and Plumbing for that uh, finale at the end of the year at the Pittsburgher. And uh, that's, that's quite a, it's a big deal for everybody to get to run for that kind of money, you know, for the, the shows like that, because you, you have to pay so much extra to get in and have a chance to win that kind of money. So it's a pretty nice deal. Now, I want to bring you up to speed on something. Now, uh, John has been aware of this for maybe a month or so, but did not say anything because he didn't want to, uh, you know, violate the confidentiality of it, but now that the word is out and everybody knows, John, you want to explain what's going to happen or what might happen on Wednesdays? Well, I don't know. I was down uh, Kurt and I were, you know, down at the garage and uh, Red Molly came in uh, from Pittsburgh and he had asked us, you know, what we thought about running on Wednesday so I, I assume that uh, they're probably going to put a program together to run on Wednesday nights down there uh, uh, and Saturdays. Uh, what do you think about running two nights a week at Pittsburgh? Um, the, the Wednesday, yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, I don't know about every week. It'd be kind of tough getting there all the time with the job and everything. Well, in talking with several people who shall remain nameless, uh, they haven't decided yet whether it would be every Wednesday, every other Wednesday, or once a month. But I think they're narrowing it down to basically the summer months with the school aspect and the kids where it would probably be June, July, and August. But again, all speculation, all we know is that they are thinking about doing it. Other than that, we don't know. I think once once a, a month for pilot deal would be okay. Your, your new people where you're working have become very excited about your racing program. That has to make work nice. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, my boss, John Cap, came down to the Fall Classic and he he was really impressed, so he went over and relayed it to um, uh, our general manager, Mark, Mark Osborne, and then he got involved, and I had to give him the videotape of the race for him to watch, and uh, 
just this week, uh, you know, we, we struck a little bit of a deal on some sponsorship for next year. Hey, Mel, if you run out of space on that car, if you don't have any more, just ship those people over my way. We can use all we can get. <laughs> I'll find room for them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Mel, you mentioned something. We're going to close here in a minute, but you mentioned something that's really a good idea, and we talked earlier about John Wirtz's videos, and I often wonder how many people have been able to close a deal because they had a video of one of the races and it just helped them put them over the top also we want to mention at at the other tracks Lernerville and Sharon and and uh, Challenger that uh, Bill Banker does the same thing so uh, it, it kind of uh, pictures are nice but a video it, it kind of saves forever what whatever it is you're trying to show this sponsor well the video is great because you have the excitement of the announcer right there telling you what's happening and uh, it's just like being there and, and uh, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of sponsorship by giving them a video, letting them watch it. Okay, Mel, did uh, did we miss anything? I'm um, sorry, Ken. Yeah, I want to ask you a quick question on the asphalt. Uh, okay. What was uh, what made you want to go also to asphalt as well as the dirt this year? Um, I had a brief conversation with Don Gamble, and he planted the idea, and I thought, well, you know, that would be great. Cause I like Don who? <laughs> <laughs> I like to run a couple nights a week anyhow, and, and uh, uh, you know, asphalt's fun to run. You've run it before, obviously. Yeah, I've raced on asphalt. Uh, um, I, I always have a problem getting the car running with the restrictor plates, but um, I, I guess they're a little bit more lenient with the UMP deal. Hey, you mentioned, and that reminds me that uh, Bendick ha had a car, and I know somebody might have one, uh, might have an interest in buying that. Is his car for sale? Um, he, when I talked to him a week or so ago, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do yet, but I can check that out and let you know. Yeah, if so, give me a call because I might have a customer for him. Great. Mel, we got to run. I want to congratulate you on everything that you have accomplished, and uh, I want you to keep your hard head near the radio because in about 20 minutes, Dad's going to be on. All right. Can I thank uh, the Modified, the people that will be sponsoring us for Motodrome? You go right ahead. Okay. Um, Barton McCain Ford will be on there, Fresh Impressions, Pinstriping and Bongiorni Auto. Uh, those will be the sponsors on our modified car for Friday nights. Now, will that still be number 67? Yes. Okay, and that's Bill Kaiser from Burgettstown. Yes. Okay, Mel, nice job. We'll talk to you. All right, thank you, Don. Thanks See you, a Mel. lot, Mel. See you, Ken. Bye. You know, this kid has a future. I mean, mm -hmm. he's one very good driver uh his his brother paul and his dad both excellent drivers it just must run in the family but they all have hard heads and i can vouch for that i've seen them go at it and uh, they got some hard heads down there in union town Toma's Meat Market is a full-service, old-fashioned butcher shop and meat market. Their stores nestled in the farmlands of western Pennsylvania, where they've been for over 50 years. They hand-select cattle and hogs purchased from local farmers. At Toma's, they can help you prepare for anything from your own family's dinner to a special graduation party, a company picnic, an anniversary celebration, a wedding reception, or a whole host of other things. They can prepare entrees and have them ready for pickup or delivery in foil chafer pans. Just heat them and eat them. Please call or stop by to find out about putting a package of these ideas together for your special event. The taste and the service are out of this world. Toma's Meat Market, located at 748 Dinnerbell Road in Saxonburg, PA. For additional information, please give them a call at 724-352-2020. That's 724-352-2020. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. 
That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. Okay, our next guest, Mel Minnick Sr. Mel, good morning and welcome to Rappin' on Race. Thank you. It's nice to be here on Rappin' on Racing again. Well, it's nice to have you here. You know, I had the guys read your story before we came on, and they're just shaking their heads like, wow, this guy is some kind of character. I want to start off by congratulating you, and I don't want to mention everybody, just you, because you're on today, uh, for your induction into the Pittsburgh Circle Track Club Hall of Fame. Uh, I appreciate that very much. I, I believe that's one of the highest honors a driver can get. And uh, I want to personally thank you for uh, nominating me in there. Well, you should be in there with 511 or 500 and some feature wins and track championships everywhere and a history that probably uh, one of the pioneers in local racing. It's only appropriate that that should happen. Uh, Your son said you have a hard head. Is that true? Well, (laughs) like concrete. (laughs) (laughs) And he has one also. Right. Him uh, and see the idea is when I when I was uh, growing up in a small town, you know, like a mining town, uh, we used to to always fight. And uh, if we couldn't find somebody else to fight, me and my brothers used to fight. You know, so we were stay sharp, huh? And that carried on, I guess. (laughs) Hey, I want to talk about when you first started in racing and this was really in the early years when uh, they didn't have fire suits or organizations and sometimes the purse wasn't very good and it was just sort of run what you brung Uh, when when did you first start 1949 and uh, your first car was it a a gmc uh, motor or something well that was in in the fifth the first race ever drove was down harrison city i'd went down there with Springer, uh, Roy Springer, and Banny Workman, and uh, they—I uh, was with Banny, more or less with Banny, and the guy needed a driver, and he, Banny says, "Well, here, let this guy drive it for you." He said he drives mine when I'm on night shift, and that was just a big story, you know. Although I'd been around racing before that, so I said, "I have no helmet." And Banny said, "I got a next one," and he gave me a football helmet, and it's—it's it's like you said. Fire suits was unthought of, you know, and it, just a seat belt is all you, you had in there, and you put a a belt or a strap around the door because you opened the door and crawled through the door. But uh, then I went into uh, uh, building my own car. That was in 51. I started to build a uh, 37 Chevy that I used to drive on the road, and I put a 105 engine in it, and uh, that was, uh, was a good runner. Uh, and I ran it that year. I made a few bucks with it. Then I built a uh, 33 Chevy Coupe, and I put a um, uh, 115 in that, blue flame engine. Then I went to a 270 in it. But the uh, that little car had a name. I named it the Ramette, North Union Ramette, after the high school that I went to. And we had bent wheels because we had to make our wheels. There was no such thing as buying racing wheels. And uh, it jumped around on the track so much that people started calling it the Jitterbug. So that's, that was how the name stuck with the Jitterbug. Mel, this is John Sikowski. I was reading your biography here this morning, and uh, some of the things, it seems like you're a real tough character. Uh, I was reading about how you got in a fight with uh, one of the guys at the racetracks, and he came to your house that night looking for you. Maybe you can uh, tell the fans a little bit about that story. Well... Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I'd had a couple of fights with the same guy, and uh, I went home. With, there was a rain out, and uh, down at the motor drum, the old motor drum, Rustdale. And I went home and uh, took a shower, and I went went up by the kitchen and I poured a drink of coffee. And I was standing there, and, and next thing you know, I heard this loud noise, and like a bing, a, beer, a bee stung me on the head. And uh, I put my hand back there, and there was blood. And I looked out the window. I seen what was happening, so I, I started fighting with the guys, and uh, 
You I were lost, shot, right? I lost so much blood that, uh, you know, I, I just had to uh, quit fighting. That was all it was to it. <laughs> Let's pursue the story. Now, they take you to the hospital, and they wanted to keep you. What happened after that? Well, they took me to the hospital. This was on a Sunday. And then uh, uh, during the week, I told them I was all right. There was nothing wrong. They was monitored to me. They had me in intensive care. They had this uh, IVs in my arm, and uh, they gave me some blood. And uh, then when the uh, doctor came in to see me, I was supposed to be, I thought I was supposed to be discharged. And he went back up to the nurse's station. And then I waited a while and waited. And this one nurse come back. And I said, Wayne, I supposed to be getting out of here? She said, no, the doctor said not to release you. I said, well, I'm going to be released. So I get up out of bed and picked up these jugs on my thumbs and went up to the nurse's uh, station. I said, either you take these out or I'm taking them out because I'm getting out of here. I said, there's a race and I got to go to the races. <laughs> so uh, they called the doctor and he said, well, if he insists, we can't hold him. So take him out. So they took him out. And I was out of the hospital. Well, you were shot in the head. Yeah. Where at in the head? I mean, <laughs> this is hard to comprehend here. We well, got a head. hard head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I did more damage to the bullet. Than <laughs> but uh, it, it hit me right behind the uh, right ear, uh, upward, and then it went in and out right through my head. And I think if I wouldn't have lost uh, so much blood, I, I don't think I'd have went to the hospital. Well, you'll probably beat those guys in the fight. <laughs> well, what happened to those guys? Well, uh... Did they get arrested? They disappeared. No, no arrest. No. <laughs> I was brought up from the old school. You know, if you get whipped or shot or something, you nurse it along and look for it later, you know. And, and, and his question was, what happened to that guy? Well, uh, he, he's all right. Did he come to the hospital to see you? <laughs> he's missing in action. <laughs> did, hey, he, did he come to the hospital? Yes. Oh, okay. That's good news. Yeah. Hey, uh, John is a pilot, and he liked the part about the airplane going under the bridge. How about telling that story, who you were with, where you were headed, and what happened? All right. Uh, the way that came about, you know, the, uh, the GT George, I used to drive for him when we had two cars that was almost identical. And he sent one car to Jennerstown. We were supposed to go to Morgantown and race. But anyhow... When George said that he he could pilot a plane, well, there was me, uh, Paul Smith, one of the pit crew, Bill Wilson, GT, and this other guy—I don't know who his name was—but uh, I guess he was a partner in this plane with GT. So when we took off at the airport, Carnesville Airport, it, we took off pretty good. Everything was nice and smooth, and we went up in the air. We were talking things, and I'm looking out, and I'm, I can see the telephone poles, the wires, and the heels, and everything else. And I said, George, aren't we flying a little low here? <laughs> said, uh, well, I'm watching the road, so we know where we're going. I said, what about the damn compass? Yeah. I don't know how to read no compass. <laughs> he was taking it that way. And so then when we got up to Morgantown, we went over Cheat Lake, and he looked down there, was down close, and he... He says, you know, that water ain't very high. I think I can go under that bridge. So I said, George, you go under the bridge, you drive your own cars. I'm not going to drive. So he went up there. He chuckled and laughed because he was a jolly type of guy. And then the plane started falling backwards. You know, now I, I, very little fear I have of anything, but I was really afraid of that. So then when the plane come back down, he, he circled around again, and he went up in the air, and he comes straight down real fast. And boy, it felt like we hit something solid and then went right back up in the air. And I looked over at Bill Wilson. I said, hey, Bill, did he go under that bridge? And Bill said, how the hell do you expect me to know? He said, I on the floor. <laughs> uh, I called George about 10 or 15 new names and we got to Morgantown. Uh, they came over and picked us up. I went to the track, but I said, that's it. I will never get in a plane with you again. Never. Yeah, I mean, I can relate to that. I, uh, you know, being a pilot myself, you know, I had a little four-seater airplane myself, and there were many times, you know, you know, I've been down that way, and, you know, that's kind of an attraction, that bridge, and, you know, that's one of the, like, uh, jokes with aviation, you know, people talk about flying under it. I, you know, I've never flown under the bridge, but I can just see you guys going to the races where guys are having a great time flying under the bridge. <laughs> 
Well, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know whether we went under the bridge because I couldn't get no answer from Smitty or anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Red or I shut. Hey, Mal. I got a. I, I think there's a real myth here about the the length of your career because, according to my calculations, 511 wins divided by seven wins a night come to 73 race nights is all you ever raced. <laughs> Now, according to the story here, you win seven races a night in seven different cars. Now, I got to hear only that. One night. Yeah, one night. So yeah. seven wins a night times seventy-three nights. That's five hundred eleven wins. <laughs> Where do you get seventy-three nights? I, I dates. Don't know. He's, seventy-three I think he's dates. Joking you? Seventy-three dates. He's a furnace guy. Hey, yeah. What do I know? I, I, I want to hear the story though on the seven wins in one night. I, after I got to that part, I kind of stopped. I said, I got to hear this before I go any further. Well, how, how that came about was, you see, I used to drive my own car. You know, the cars that I'd built, and uh, then uh, Pap Cornish. You know, I used to drove for him. He was a good mechanic thing. I drove for him for uh, oh, quite a few years after that, but. I, when I started driving for him, he wanted me to drive his car. I said, well, I'm still going to drive mine, so maybe I can sell it or get another ride. So what was expected was was I was going to drive two cars on this one given night, you know, of racing. So when we went to the track, I drove my car, and I won the first heat race. So then the second car I was going to drive was a 319. Uh, it was by, owned by Jim Byers, and I drove it, and I won that race, too. So then I got in this car that Pat Cornish, one of the ones he had, was M3. And I ran that one there, and I won that race, too, so they gave me three in a row there. And I thought that was the end of it. But then uh, Bobby Arsenberger, that has uh, Motor Drum Speedway, had sold them an engine out of a car that I had, a Ford engine. And uh, his dad came to me, and he says, uh, you told us that that was... Uh, a potential winner that motor i says yes i told you that and i said but uh, i can't i'm not the one driving it he said well how about you get in there and show us so i got in the 711 and i won that race so then that was in a concert so then marlon lawson from uh, maryland had the l1 diner which i drove for him after this before that and after that uh, went out in the helmet dash and i won that race so that made five so then, in the all-winners race, Ace Rogers, that used to race with my father, he came, because he'd asked me before about driving for him, he asked me would I drive his car in the all-winners race. And I was trying to think back of these cars, because, see, you could advance up to different cars, but you couldn't backtrack back down to the car you previously drove. So uh, I, I figured, well, you know, I'm in the L1, so I, yeah, I'd drive his car, because he had a good car. And I won the all-winners race. So then Pat Corny says to me, he said, well, look, get in this other car. It's the best car I have, the 6 and 7 eighths, which I drove a good many years after that. And I just made a clean sweep. So that was the seven races. Well, in the, well, didn't these car owners bring their own drivers? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, some of the drivers were there. But I, I did sit in the seat of a lot of uh, different cars during my career and drove the cars. That may be yeah, that could go in the McGinnis Book of Records. I think I, I that's, that's uh, amazing. Well, a lot of the things we can't talk about could probably go <laughs> in the Book of Records too. That's true. I've had some discussions with Mel that we won't go into, but uh, you know, when we look at the cars that you have driven and the success that you've had, uh, did you have a favorite car? Yes, I did. Uh, my favorite car was the one forty-five, the six-cylinder Hudson. The, although I drove the Sprint, you know, which was a V8, uh, 358, and then we we put in a uh, 363 in it. But the six-cylinder Hudson that I drove, uh, it proved what Mel Jr. Uh, has found out. You don't need all that motor that you, that, that these guys put in a car. You, you know, you can ruin your traction. you got to ch stay with your gears. The track gets changes during racing, and, and you just mess up. If you know what you have, you drive it knowing what you have there. Too much power can spin you out. You can break traction. It can do anything. Of course, Don knows that. I have to share a story with you, Mel. My first year of racing at Greater Pittsburgh Speedway, it was a bunch of kids. We were all 15 or 16, 
and you were down there in a 145, and somebody hit you, turned you up on your side, and their car landed on top of you, and this big guy, I mean, he looked like Bigfoot, come over and grabbed me by the shirt, and he's ready to punch me, and he says, I don't, I'm not driving that car, that's not me, and I pointed to the regular driver, and he went over and proceeded to blast the one, but I almost got my teeth knocked out because the guy thought that was me up on top of you. Well, the... Uh that happened in number three turn, if I recall. That's right. Yep, right yep. in number three turn, yep. Uh, but hey, you weren't so little either. No, but this guy was bigger. <laughs> you know, and I can recall when you would come up there and uh, uh, Tallman would come up in the T, T8 or something, and you guys, you won all the races. You know, we were never glad to see you. My attitude has changed since then, but when you'd come in, oh, man, here comes them guys from Uniontown again. Well, that was the idea of coming down there. Yeah, I guess. I <laughs> Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Saturday night racing entertainment. That's what you'll get every week at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. The 2021 schedule is jam-packed with racing action. It all starts May the 1st with our five weekly divisions. The Rush Dirt Late Models, the Penn Ohio Pro Stocks, the Hobby Stocks, the Young Guns, and the Four Cylinders. Throughout the season, PPMS hosts several racing series adding to the racing action. The Rush Dirt Late Model Touring Series, the Falcone Moon Township Automotive 410 Sprint Summer Series, the Rush Sportsman Modified, the Buckeye Outlaw Sprint Series, Thunder in the Dirt's Vintage Modifieds, and the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. Special events include the Ed Laboon Memorial, the Herb Scott Memorial, the Red Miley Rumble, the Juke George Steel City Classic, and the 33rd Annual Pittsburgher 100. Stay up to date with all the news from Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway at ppms.com. On Facebook, it's Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, and on Twitter, it's at PA Motor Speedway. Pittsburgh Circle Track Club Old Timers Night. A lot of my favorite people are here, and I'm going to talk with one now. Dick Bailey. Dick, my first recollection of you, as a matter of fact, the reason I'm involved in racing today, uh, my uncle took me to uh, Clear Ridge Speedway. I was about 12 or 13 years old, and he knew someone there, and they let me climb in a flying cigar and sit down, and I haven't missed a race since. Uh, so I guess you're responsible for my involvement here. Let's talk a little bit about your racing, and uh, we're going to talk with your son and his involvement. When you first started out, was it with the PRA, or did you do any driving prior to that? No, I'd done uh, driving prior to that. Uh, I run 1950 and 51, and I think PRA started, what, 54? Yeah, 54. Yeah, because I started in 1950. And, and prior to that, where were the tracks that you raced? Were they up near where you live? Yeah, I run uh, Sharon Speedway, uh, Armstrong County Speedway. That's down by Catanning at Dayton, PA. I run there. I used to run uh, Ford City, uh, Armstrong County Speedway up at the old fairgrounds. Now, I've seen you in uh, modifieds, super modifieds, sprint cars, and late models. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you've driven other than the ones I've mentioned? Go-karts. I used to run at Heidelberg on TV at Channel 11 every Sunday afternoon. Well, that's right. Witzberger had a deal where he'd put his top drivers in the carts. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. 
I've told the story many times, but I, I, I always got a kick out of your Pontiac and the, and the one that you drove to Daytona and, and, and took the headlights out and raced it and then drove it home. Uh, things have changed a great deal since then. When you look at the Winston Cup races and what you were doing was a forerunner to that, uh, a lot of changes, but I suspect not it's so serious that probably when you were doing it, you could have a little bit of fun and make some money at it without having to uh, involve a fortune in your car. Yeah, you're right. Uh, things just change a lot, especially expensive. We're looking at an old picture of the Sun-Telegraph, and you're standing there in your fire suit, and one of your boys is there with you. And I'd like you to tell me a little bit about the boys and their involvement in racing. Well, uh, Rick, that's the oldest boy. He don't run anymore. He works at the uh, Delco plant out in Kokomo, Indiana, but Bill still races. In fact, we're going to Australia here this winter. Uh, we already sent the car, and Bill's going to run in Australia. And my youngest boy uh, is a professional bowler now. He's on the tour. I'm going to talk with Bill for a little bit. Bill, you've had a, a good season in the sprint cars, and if we go way back, I can remember a time at Mercer where you were in a semi-late. Uh, when did you first realize, with being with Dad, that you wanted to, to be a race car driver? Well, I grew up with it, and I spent every summer of my life at a racetrack, and there's not anything else I wanted to do, and I spent a few years in modifieds and late models, and my goal was sprint cars, and I've been in sprint cars since 79, and I'll probably be there till the end. Let's talk about Australia. That's a very prestigious effort that you're involved in, and it's not the first time. Uh, how did this come about, and what is involved? Well, this will be my fourth trip to Australia, and originally it involved in just knowing the right people at the right time. They knew I wanted to go, and the whole situation came along at the right time, and I made a lot of connections over there. So basically, any time I want to go, I can just uh, call somebody and, and get a deal organized and go over. Now, do you take a car? Or they have the car? How does that work? The first couple of years, I sent my own cars over, uh, but this year, uh, we built a car for an Australian, and it's on its way over there now, and I'll be driving the car that we built uh, starting in January. I talked to a fellow at the workshops in Daytona who uh, does PR for a couple of the tracks in Australia, and he said that it's so expensive to race over there that it's sort of like getting a 55-gallon drum and putting your money in it and setting it on fire. Is that correct? It's extremely expensive where things are probably two to three times the cost because they don't have the natural resources to make anything, so they have to import everything. And their government charges a heavy duty tax on, on any imports that come in, but that's what they're used to, so that's they just do with what they have. In addition to racing the cars, you build some. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I... Through my racing years, it was hard and expensive, so I learned how to repair cars, I learned how to rebuild this and rebuild that, and I turned my experience of learning into a business now, and I spend more time building and repairing than I do racing right now. I'd rather be racing, but my business kind of overwhelms me now, and I have to stick by it more often than I'd like to. Let's turn the clock back to when Dad was racing. Do you have a favorite memory or recollection or race? Well, I think every race to watch Dad was pretty exciting. My brother and I always wore the little white suits and the red hats and stood there with our fingers crossed for 20 or 30 laps, and I think every race to us was a good one. Dad, how about you? A favorite race for Bill? Uh, let me see. I think Sharon Speedway probably uh, is both favorite because uh, he won the championship over there that year, too. You've got to be proud. You know, what I like best about racing is the family involvement, and you've got the ideal situation. You raced and your sons were there. Now he's racing, and you can be involved in that. But that's not all. I understand uh, with the bus trips, and you do a lot of that, did you travel all over the country with uh, bus tours? Yeah, I travel all over the country. I take Alaska trips for gray lines out of Nashville. Uh, I've been in every state in the Union. But I just came back from a job up in uh, by Wisconsin at a nuclear plant. I overhauled two diesel engines I helped build 26 years ago. You know, I have to ask you this. You were racing in the 50s, and this is the 90s, and you don't look like you're over 40. What's the secret? Clean living. <laughs> hey, thanks for talking with us. Thank you. Bill, thank you. Thank you very much. And good luck in Australia. Thanks. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. 
As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A., J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and J.W.C., J.W.C.A. are unaffiliated entities. Well, I hope you enjoyed tonight's program. I want to mention that coming up on April 5th, our regular Rappin' on Racing show will be the first one of the new season, the first weekly show. Our guests include Jennerstown Speedway General Manager Bill Rebar, Pro Stock Driver Jeff Giles, Area Auto Racing News Writer Dave Dragovich, Drag Racing Reporter Tom Lang, Late Model Driver Logan Zarin, Rush Modified Driver Chelsea Kregich, and Go-Kart Racer Zach Koffler. As always, we want to thank our marketing partners, Number 1 Cochrane Automotive, Alternative Power Sources, Jennerstown Speedway, plus Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, RPS Financial Solutions, and Toma Meat Market. We welcome three new marketing partners, Zarin Truck and Automotive, Night and Day Seal Coating, and Environmental Air. And special thanks to our senior engineers and our technical advisors, Bill Korch, Ted Lusick, and Gary Scott, along with Bob Miller, our multimedia data collection facilitator. Race fans, check this out. Rappin' on Racing, Remember When. It's a new podcast from Speedway Productions. Once a month, veteran motorsports broadcaster Don Gamble will share some driver interviews from the 80s back through to the 50s with people that built our sport. The Rappin' on Racing Remember When podcast will be available each month. To find out who each month's guest will be and when each podcast will drop, please check the Facebook page for Rappin' on Racing. That's Rappin' on Racing Remember When. Race fans, check this out.